Well, hey everybody, welcome to Valley Creek Church. Hey, I'm so glad that you're here with us today and we wanna welcome all of our campuses, whether you're in Denton, Flower Mound, Louisville, the venue, or watching online somewhere in the world, can we just take a moment and welcome each other together? I am so glad that you're here with us today and we're jumping back into a sermon series that we've been in called Seven. We've been taking a look at seven marker stone messages from the past seven years. And if you're wondering, well, why the number seven and why now? Well, seven is a significant number in the Bible. Uh, seven is the day of rest. It's the day of completion. And at seven, God always wants us to stop and look back on the things that he's done in the season before it. And uh, this fall marks seven years uh, of me being able to serve you as the lead pastor here at Valley Creek Church. It was seven years ago that the founding pastor of Valley Creek moved to China to be a missionary. I was able to transition into this new role and it started a whole new season of Valley Creek Church. And we've been so excited to just stop and remind ourselves of all the good things that God has shared with us, all the good things that God has taught us. And this series, what it's doing is it's building our faith. God's faithfulness yesterday always gives us the faith we need for today. And I'm believing that as we move into 2018, it's gonna be our best year yet. And part of it is just because we're stopping to remind ourselves of some of the most significant things that God has taught us over this past season. And so we're gonna look at a message today from a series we did a couple years ago called It Is Finished, where we looked at Jesus's three final words on the cross. And we said that if Jesus declares it is finished, we have to know what's finished, what's completed, so that we don't spend our lives trying to do what Jesus has already done. And the reason this series was so significant for our church is because this really marked the beginning of us becoming a Jesus-focused church. We say that Jesus-focused people are more focused on what Jesus has done for them than on what they have to do for Him. And that really was a turning point for our church of saying, hey, we're a people that wanna focus on what Jesus has done for us, not on what we have to do for Him. And that's really changed everything we do around here. So here's what I want you to do. Will you grab something to take some notes? Will you grab a pen? Will you open up your mind? Will you open up your heart? And will you allow these words to get deep inside of you? Because this is really one of our most significant messages from the past seven years. And I can't wait to hear what God has to say to us today. And so if you got your Bibles, turn with me to John 19 and John chapter four. John 19 and John chapter 4, and as you're turning there, here's the question I want to ask you, and it's this. Do you feel like in your life right now, you are joyful, restful, and satisfied? In your life right now, are you joyful, restful, and satisfied? We spend a lot of time talking about being witnesses for Jesus out in the world, and I think the greatest way we could ever witness for Jesus is living a joyful, restful, satisfied life because the world doesn't even know what that looks like, let alone knows how to experience it. And yet, if we were honest with ourselves and we sat down over a cup of coffee, I bet most of us would say, I'm not very restful, I'm not very joyful, and I'm certainly not satisfied, and I think it's because we're still trying to work on what Jesus has already finished for us. So look with me, John chapter 19, Jesus hanging on the cross, verse 28, later knowing that all was now completed and so that scripture would be fulfilled. Okay, pause. Uh, John, the gospel writer, he says, knowing that all was completed. What was completed? 
What in this moment was completed or fulfilled? The law. In this moment, Jesus fully completed the law. Every demand, every aspect, every expectation, the law placed upon you and I, in this moment, Jesus fulfilled for us. He came to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And as we've been talking about grace over this past season here as a church, what I never want you to think is that the law is a bad thing. I never want you to get down on the law. The law is a great thing. In fact, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill or complete the law. The important part for you and I is to remember that the law is so high that we could never fulfill it, that it's way up here. And the point of the law was to show us our brokenness and show us that there's no way we could ever meet this expectation to drive us to our need for Jesus. Our problem with the law is we bring it down and act like there's something we can do to accomplish it or to achieve it. We could never fulfill the law. Jesus had to do it for us. In fact, John 17, 4, Jesus says, I have brought you glory on this earth by finishing the work you have given me to do. He says to the Father, I have finished the work. It's completed. It's fulfilled. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And from this moment forward, no one would ever have to work to fulfill anything ever again. And I love that Jesus says, I've brought you glory on this earth by finishing the work. Nothing brings the Father more glory than the finished work of Jesus. It goes on, Jesus says, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked the sponge in it, put it on sponge on the stalk of a hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus is hanging on the cross. The sin of all mankind was placed upon him. And in that moment, he shouts out, I am thirsty. And it was in that moment that Jesus became thirsty so that you could become satisfied. Jesus became thirsty so that you could be satisfied. And when I say thirsty, I'm not talking about a physical thirst. I'm talking about that spiritual thirst that deep anguish of the soul, that sense of discontentment, that overwhelming nature, that striving spirit, that longing for approval, that sense of exhaustion, of striving, of achieving, that deep thirst of the soul in that moment was placed upon Jesus. He took our thirst, the thirst we were never supposed to have in the first place because you and I were never created to be thirsty. In fact, if you look at Jesus' life, I think we would all agree that Jesus lived a pretty joyful, restful, satisfied life. Do you agree with that in the Gospels? You, you with me today? Would you agree with that? Three of us agree with that. The rest of us think Jesus strived and struggled in life. But really, if you read the Gospels, Jesus lived a joyful, restful, satisfied life, and yet his circumstances stunk. You think you got it bad? Look at Jesus' life, man. The crowds are constantly leaving him. The Pharisees want to kill him. His disciples don't ever get him. Jesus is like, Peter, how many times do I got to tell you about the kingdom, man? Just like, get it. His family wanted to, uh, or his family thought that he was crazy. I mean, Jesus had some pretty tough circumstances, and yet he lived joyful, restful, satisfied life here on this earth, which teaches you and I that peace is not based on what's happening out here. Peace is based on what's happening in here. You and I always think that if we could just change out here, everything will be great. No, 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 it's about changing what's in here when everything becomes great. You see, Jesus is not a picture for me, he's a picture of me. He's not a picture for you, he's a picture of you. First John four seventeen says, in this world we are like him. As he is, so we are. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives within me. So when I look at the life of Jesus, Jesus is not a picture of what I can become. Jesus is a mirror of who I am. Can you catch that? 
Jesus is not a picture of who I can become if I strive really hard to make it happen one day. No, no, he's a mirror of who I already am. When I look at him, that's it tells me who I am. And so if he lived joyful, restful, and satisfied on this life, that's now who I am. I'm included in Christ. That's my spiritual posture, my spiritual position. He took my thirst that I might have his satisfaction. I told you a few minutes ago that we were never created to be thirsty. And so the question then begs to be asked is, well, then where did thirst come from? We got to go all the way back to the garden. If you look in Genesis chapter one and two, you'll find that Adam was never thirsty. He was never thirsty in the garden of Eden. Why? Because he was totally satisfied in the presence of God. The presence of God was his source, his satisfaction, his contentment. It took care of all of his needs. In fact, Psalm 1611 says, in your presence is fullness of joy. In the Garden of Eden, there was no stress, there was no worry, there was no striving, there was no achieving, there was no struggle. There was just Adam walking with God in the cool of the day in the garden, co-ruling with God over creation, living a lifestyle of rest until the fall. And you know the story, Adam and Eve took the fruit, there's a consequence, look with me, Genesis 3, 17 through 19, here's the consequence, God says, cursed is the ground because of you, through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life, it will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken, okay? This is the consequence of the fall. Catch this whole nature. Adam lived a lifestyle of rest. He was never thirsty until this moment. Here's what happens. Cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil. This is the first time painful toil is ever released into the world. The first time there's ever been striving or achieving or struggling or effort or having to wrestle through things. Up until now, Adam lived a lifestyle of rest in the presence of God. Striving was released into the world as a result of the curse. It says, through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. Do you realize in the Garden of Eden, there were no thorns and thistles? There were only trees that naturally produced fruit for Adam and Eve. But in this moment, because of the curse, thorns and thistles were released. In other words, things that would prick and bite and fight back and resist you. Up until now, creation served and submitted to Adam and Eve, but now it was gonna fight back and release thorns and thistles and and, and resist mankind. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of of the field by the sweat of your brow. Do you realize Adam never sweated until this moment? There was no sweat in the Garden of Eden. Why? Because there was no striving or painful toil. It was in this moment that sweat was released. And what happens when you sweat? You get thirsty. And it was in this moment thirst was released into the world. And it was in this moment that deodorant was birthed as a good idea. (laughs) for all mankind. And so if you can catch this, painful toil, thorns and thistles, and sweat, in other words, in this moment, because of the curse, striving, sweat, and thirst were released into the world. Adam lived a lifestyle of rest. He was never thirsty. He never had to achieve anything. He received everything in the presence of God. But in this moment, an an, an inquenchable thirst was released upon mankind, and you and I spend our lives trying to satisfy that thirst in all the wrong places. In fact, my question for you is, do these three verses, do these describe your life? You feel like your life is a life of painful toil, striving, achieving, wrestling, trying to win the approval of others. You feel like you're fighting thorns and thistles. It's always fighting you back. You feel sweaty and thirsty, exhausted, discontented. I mean, does this describe your life? Uh, Maybe a deeper question to ask you is, does this describe your walk with God? 
feel like your relationship with God is one of painful toil and thorns and thistles, striving, sweaty, thirsty, never satisfied. I mean, these verses certainly define religion. You see, Adam released to us a life of striving, but Jesus came to take it out. Adam gave to you a life of, of, of achieving. Jesus released to you a life of receiving. Adam gave you thirst. Jesus gave you satisfaction. Adam gave you thorns, thistles, and sweat. And Jesus came to get rid of it. In fact, when Jesus hung on the cross, what did they put on his head? A crown of thorns. You and I think that they put thorns on his head just to make it more painful than it already was. No, I told you last week, everything in the crucifixion process, it's prophetic, it's symbolic in nature. Jesus took thorns and thistles upon himself. In other words, he says, I'm taking the curse to the cross. I'm gonna defeat the curse for you so that you won't have to have thorns and thistles in your life. Instead, you'll be able to naturally produce fruit like you once did in the Garden of Eden. I've come to redeem the curse and break it for you. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, another garden, right before Jesus goes to the cross, it says he sweats drops of blood. In other words, Jesus is sw uh, our sweat mingled with Jesus' blood. And what happens when Jesus' blood mingles with anything in our life? It's redeemed. And so he says, my blood has come to redeem your sweat. In other words, I'm taking away a life of striving. I'm going to release back to you a life of rest. It is finished. I have finished the work which the Father has given me to do. Jesus didn't come just to die for your sins. He also came to quench your thirst from a life of striving, to remove that from your life on the cross of Jesus. No more striving, sweat, and thirst. Instead, we get to receive, rest, and be satisfied in Jesus. See, a life of a believer is a lifestyle of rest. Jesus fulfilled it all for us. There's nothing left to fulfill. I mean, if you think about the garden, Adam never worked for God. He only worked with God. We spend our lives thinking, I got to work for God. Adam didn't work for approval. He worked from approval. You and I spend our lives trying to win the approval of God and man and all the people around us. There was no sweat, no performing, no earning, because no one gets thirsty in a lifestyle of rest. Doesn't that sound good? Don't you? I, I want that. I mean, do you, do you remember the story in Exodus chapter 17? The Israelites are on their way from Egypt to the promised land, and they're in the desert, and the people are really thirsty, and they start complaining to Moses, and so Moses goes to God, and he says, God, what should I do? And God says, Moses, I want you to take your staff and walk over to that rock, and I want you to strike the rock with it. And when you strike the rock with it, I will release a, a river from that rock, and all the people can come and drink from it. So Moses walks over, takes his staff, strikes the rock, water, a river, springs out from the rock, and all the people come and they drink. Their thirst is satisfied, their thirst is quenched, and that's a prophetic picture of the cross. Who is the rock? Jesus, he's the rock of our salvation. And what happened to him on the cross? He was struck. And the moment Jesus was struck on the cross, rivers of living water were released from him out into the world around him that whoever would believe in him would never be thirsty again. In fact, a few verses later in John 19, it says they pierced his side with a spear and water and blood flowed from his side. In other words, when Jesus died, a river of living water was released from him. The curse was broken because God wanted to satisfy the thirst of his people. You see, in the old covenant, under the law, it went something like this. If you obey, I will bless you. That's what God said. If you obey, I will bless you. So you're the hinge pin. You get it right, God will bless you. Under the new covenant, God says, because of what I have done, I will bless you. You see, the law, you were the focus. You were the hinge pin. It's all about you. Think of the Ten Commandments. 
You shall have no other gods. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not lie. You shall not steal. You shall not have any, uh, create any idols. It's all about you. You're the hinge pin. You're the focus. You get it right. You get blessed. You get it wrong. You get cursed. But under grace, Jesus is the focus. In fact, the new covenant in Hebrews 8, you can read it. God says, I will be their God. I will write my laws upon their hearts. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. He is the focus under grace in the new covenant. Religion starts by putting burdens on you. Jesus starts by taking burdens off of you. In fact, Matthew eleven twenty eight: come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Religion says achieve, and then you can come. Jesus says come that you may receive. And yet, if we're honest, we struggle with this because we like to be in control. And we lose control when it's like this. The law offends us because it tells us what to do. Grace offends us even more because it tells us there's nothing we can do. And we like to be people who earn or contribute or somehow add to our salvation process. We're the kind of people we like to send thank you notes for thank you notes. You know what I'm talking about? Because in the end, you got the upper hand. Like, that's how we like to do it with Jesus. Listen, can I tell you, your significance is not found in what you achieve. It's found in what you receive. Your significance in this life is not found in all the great things you think you've achieved. It's found in what you receive. This is why men struggle with the gospel in, in a deep way, because we're, we're achievers. We think, yeah, painful toil, like the garden, the curse. I got to struggle thorns and thistles through the sweat of my brow. I'm a self-made man. Man, that is the most prideful statement you could ever make in your life. I am a self-made man because nobody's a self-made anything good. <laughs> Spiritual maturity is not about what you achieve. It's about how much of Jesus you receive. So you can't self-make yourself into receiving a whole lot more of Jesus. Doesn't work that way. In fact, even think about the Bible. Miracles were given to receivers, not achievers. Look at the Gospels. Who did Jesus do miracles for? The blind, the sick, the lame, the hurt, the broken, those who couldn't achieve anything. Who didn't get miracles in the Gospels? The Pharisees. Those who are out achieving, saying we're self-made men and women, we got this thing figured out. I mean, listen to this, Galatians 3, 5, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law, because you strive and achieve, or because you believe what you heard, because you believe and receive? Miracles are released to those who have a heart posture to receive that which Jesus did, the finished work, it's complete. And so my question for you is, is are you thirsty or satisfied today? Now, Flip over with me quick to John chapter four. Are you still with me on this? Okay. One of the things that I think is important for us in the days to come is, is I just wanna, I want us to do this more uh, where I'm sitting and trying to communicate concepts to you because I think sometimes it can come across better with, this, with deeper things when I'm sitting here instead of striving and getting sweaty and thirsty running like I normally do. All right, uh, John chapter four. This is the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus meets this woman at the well, right? And, and you're familiar with the story, and this is a woman, she's had five husbands, she's living with a sixth man, we would say this is a thirsty woman. Not physically thirsty, she's spiritually thirsty. And it's real easy to look at her and judge her life. Who has five husbands and is living with a sixth man? Like, who lives their life that way? And, and yet, when we look at her, we, we realize that people will do crazy things when they're thirsty. People do crazy things when they're thirsty. 
I mean, think about this woman. She's trying to satisfy her thirst in all the wrong ways. Husband one, he didn't satisfy her thirst. Husband two, he didn't satisfy it. Husband three, he abused her. Husband four, he was a mistake. Husband five, he didn't work out all that well. Man number six, she still has a hope of getting that spiritual uh, thirst quenched somewhere inside of her. And the truth is, you do crazy things when you're thirsty. I mean, one of, one of the shows that I love to watch on TV is Survivor shows. You ever watch the Survivor shows? like uh, Survivor Man or Bear Grylls or Dual Survival or the, these shows where these guys are like dropped into like nowhere and they got to survive. And every episode always resolve, revolves around them getting water to drink. And I love it because it's crazy and they do these crazy things. Like I remember one time watching this like nasty pond of water with like dead fish in it and the guy's like, man, I may not find water for a couple days and he gets a cattail and, you know, drinks out of it as if the cattail is going to somehow cleanse the nasty water. Or, or another time a guy was walking through the desert and he finds an animal carcass and he goes over and he checks it out and the dew from the night had pooled up in the animal carcass and you know, he looks at the camera and says, I may not drink again for a week. I got I to gotta do it. And he gets down on his hands and knees. I guess, nasty man or, or my favorite one was a guy was in a raft out in salt water in the ocean he's like where am I going to get water from so he peed in a bag and held it up in the sun till the condensation created something in the bag and he drank the condensation and I remember thinking I'd rather be thirsty <laughs> than do that people do crazy things when they're thirsty you have done crazy things to satisfy your thirst I've done crazy things to satisfy my thirst. The thirstier you are, the crazier you get. And it'd be real easy for this woman to look at you and me and judge us and think, why on earth would you do that to satisfy your thirst the way we look at her and judge her? You see, when you try to get your thirst met in the wrong places, it leaves you thirstier than you already are. And the bummer of the things of this world is they never deliver on what they promise. Ecclesiastes 6, 7, all a man's efforts are for his mouth and yet his appetite is never satisfied. That verse defines my life. I've spent my life thinking if I could just make this team, get this award, get this goal, make this promotion, achieve this thing, then somehow that thirst inside of me will be satisfied and every time I get that thing that I think is gonna spring satisfaction, it leaves me even more thirsty than I already was. Has anything in this life ever brought you lasting satisfaction? I would bet the answer is no. Look with me at the story. Verse seven. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. That story describes every person who is a descendant of Adam. That is the result of the curse. Striving, sweat, and thirst. And Jesus shows up and he looks at the woman and says, woman, I've come to take that thirst away and give you my satisfaction. 
And he says to her, I've come to give you a spring of living water. Notice he doesn't say, I've come to give you a well. Why? Because a well is stagnant water and you through your own effort have to go to it and draw from it again and again and again in order to be satisfied. Jesus says, I'll give you a spring of living water that will well up inside of you and it will flow and overflow through no effort of your own. You will constantly be satisfied. And the key of this whole thing is verse 10 when Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. In other words, he looks at her and he said, if you knew what I offered and who I was, you would ask me and I would satisfy you. And our problem is, is we don't know what he offers and we don't know who he is. And so we live thirsty lives. This whole last year at Valley Creek Church has been trying to, us trying to declare who he is and what he offers. And the reason for that is because people are thirsty. Just this week, I'm thinking every face I see in the city this week, I'm looking at them, you can just see the thirst in them. And they may look like a million dollars put together, but their their soul is so thirsty. People in this room, we're, we're, we're thirsty and we strive and we struggle. And the crazy part about this whole thing is she's trying to draw Jesus a bucket of water and he wants to give her springs of living water. I mean, he's like saying to her woman, stop trying to do for me what I have come to do for you. We spend our lives trying to do for Jesus what he has done for us. It's finished. The law has been completed. Everything that God demanded of us has been completed and fulfilled in Jesus. In fact, my question for you is, is what are you thirsty for in life right now? Like right now, are you thirsty for victory, for success, significance, approval, love, peace, riches? What are you thirsty for and how are you trying to quench that thirst? Are you trying to quench it through your spouse? They would just behave a certain way or do a certain thing or maybe through spouses like this woman. Are you trying to quench it by the way you look or by getting a promotion, making more money, having your kids be all stars in the community? I mean, how are you trying to quench and satisfy that thirst? Can I tell you something? In Jesus, we don't have to strive for these things. We get to live from these things. In Jesus, I don't strive for victory. I live from victory because what is a greater victory than the cross of Jesus? In Jesus, I don't have to strive for approval. I live from approval because I know I'm his beloved son or his daughter in in whom he is well pleased. I don't have to strive for security. I live from security because no one can snatch me out of the hand of the good shepherd. I don't have to strive for riches. I live from riches because I've been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual riches there are in Christ Jesus. If you knew who he was and what he offered to you, you would come to him and he would satisfy your thirst. Because you don't have to strive for what's already yours. And all those things I just mentioned, they're already yours in Jesus. You just have to believe and receive. If you're thirsty today, it's because you don't believe in the finished work of the cross of Jesus for you. The reason we're not satisfied, joyful, or restful is because we're still trying to add something to the cross that's already been taken care of. And I love how the story ends, verse 28, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then leaving her water jar. In other words, she's so satisfied, she doesn't need that jar anymore. You know you're resting in Jesus when you leave behind your water jar. The thing that you've been using in this life to try to satisfy the thirst in your soul. And she goes to her town and she tells everybody about Jesus. 
a woman is the first evangelist, really, in all of the Gospels, which just again shows us the redemptive nature of women under the lordship of Jesus Christ. He has come to redeem them and set them free under what was at the time. And she, she goes and she tells everybody, and what we learn from her is that you have to understand the Gospel before you can share the Gospel. And we spend a lot of time trying to share that which we don't understand. Listen, the Gospel is not come and do, it's come, it's been done. It's not a message of striving and achieving, it's a message of rest and receiving. It's finished. In fact, let me give you one more verse to pull this all together. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7 says this, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Okay, that's a lot of theological stuff. Here's what it says. Jesus right now is seated at the right hand of the Father. Seated in a posture of rest because there's nothing left to do. He completed the work which the Father has given to him. No more striving, no more achieving. It's done. And in the Old Testament, in the temple and the tabernacle, there were no seats. There were no seats where the people would go to meet with God. Why? Because there was always more work to be done. Always more forgiveness for the sins. Always another sacrifice that had to be offered. The priests couldn't sit down because they had to get more blood to offer for atonement for the sacrifices of the people's sins. But Jesus, our great high priest, when he died on the cross, rose to new life. He went and he sat at the right hand of the Father to say, it is finished, it is done. Nothing left to strive for, achieve, or earn. It's complete. And you know where you are? If you're in Jesus, you're seated right there with him. You're seated with Jesus, which means it's done. You're forgiven, free, redeemed, nothing to approve, no favor to gain. You don't owe God or have to earn anything from God. It's done. He took care of it all for you. And the crazy part about it is your destiny, heavenly places is not your destination. It's your starting point. Rest is not your destination. It's your starting point. You're seated in heavenly places in a posture of rest with Jesus. That's not your destination. That's where you start. It's done. It's finished. I mean, you remember a few weeks ago I shared with you about Mary and Martha? Two sisters, they have Jesus over their house. Mary sits at his feet and receives rest and satisfaction from the living water of Jesus. Martha goes in the kitchen to make a meal for Jesus and she's striving and, and struggling and achieving. She gets bitter and resentful, knocks the door down, runs to Jesus, yells at him and Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. He says, Martha, you're striving sweaty and thirsty. And if you would just sit at my feet like Mary, you could receive rest and be satisfied. Martha was making Jesus a meal he never ordered. And some of us spend our lives making meals for God he never ordered. He's not asking you to fulfill anything because Jesus already fulfilled it for you. And it's amazing how a life of striving will always create resentment and bitterness within you. Mary is seated. She's full of joy, peace, satisfaction, and no one can take it away from her. Martha is standing, a posture of striving, sweating, thirst, and she gets bitter and resentful because of the striving. That's why there's little pods of people all over America, Christians, right? And they're some of the most bitter, resentful, angry. Religious people can be some of the meanest people you come in contact with. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are like, yeah, I know those people, right? <laughs> Why? Because they may have their ticket punched to heaven, but they've never received the living waters of Jesus. They're not resting in him. They're striving. 
sweaty, thirsty, so they get offended and bitter at those who are like Mary, resting and receiving the springs of living water. And I realize some of you are looking at me, you're like, okay, great, so, so what with all this? What's the application? Like sit at home and eat bonbons all day? Like that, that sounds pretty good if that's what, if that's what it is. No, no. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. It's working for the Lord, not for men. In other words, wherever God has placed you right now, work at it with all your heart. But where is your heart in Jesus? Seated at the right hand of the Father, totally satisfied, resting and receiving his finished work. Nothing to prove, nothing to gain, no striving. You look at Jesus, Jesus is not a picture of what you can become. He is a mirror of who you already are. So when you look at Jesus' heart, Jesus' heart was a heart of rest and peace and joy and satisfaction. So that's the current condition of my heart, which means when I live from my heart of rest, I become the most impactful person I could ever be in this life. The most impactful people are those who live from a lifestyle of rest because they have nothing to prove, nothing to gain, no agenda to achieve. They're just like Adam in the original garden, walking with their father, saying, Father, what should we be about today? What would it be like if we like, stepped back and actually let Jesus take over? Like if we actually believed all this stuff? Sounds good, it's good theology. It'd be like if we believed it. If we believe that Jesus really said, I have finished the work you have gave me to do. What if we believed we didn't have to strive to get God's favor, but we already got it because of who Jesus is and what he has done. See, no more striving, sweat, and thirst in Jesus. Instead, it's a life of receiving rest and satisfaction. Jesus came to be thirsty so you could become satisfied. Will you receive that satisfaction? So you close your eyes and bow your heads with me. And let me just ask you, after everything that we've just said, what do you sense the Holy Spirit saying to you? What's he whispering to you based on the truth of God's word? Some of you, you're like the woman at the well. You've been trying to satisfy your thirst. You're so thirsty, you found yourself making decisions you would never normally make. Decisions that are even scaring you, thinking, how on earth did I make that decision? That's not me. That's not how I live. That's, That's not what I do. Well, when we're thirsty, we do crazy things. Things we wouldn't normally do. I believe Jesus is inviting you to leave your water pail behind today and be satisfied in him. Maybe you're here and you feel like Martha and you're striving and performing and achieving and your whole life, everything in religion has been told to you. You need to earn approval from God. You need to to do all these things in order for him to be pleased with you. Maybe you need to just sit down for a few moments and stop making Jesus a meal he never ordered. He doesn't want you to draw him water. He wants to give you springs of living water. And when you catch the revelation that it's complete, it changes everything. And like Mary, you sit at his feet and you become joyful, restful, and satisfied and impactful in this life. 
No more painful toil, thorns and thistles, or sweat. Can you release that to Jesus and receive what he offers? My sense is that there's some of you in here, you're so thirsty, just one drop of water would, would, would be so much to you right now. I think Jesus wants to release springs of living water in your soul right now. And it's as simple as saying, Jesus, would you re release those rivers of living water within me? I believe and I receive the finished work of the cross of Jesus. Lord Jesus, we just pray right now in this room, would you release springs of living water in every heart that's receptive? Would they, would they well up and create an overflowing nature and wash away all of the gunk and the garbage and the thirst of our lives and release your satisfaction, your miracles, your hope, your rest, your peace, your satisfaction? Can you just say, I receive it, church? Just, just let him do it. I can feel it. He wants to release something inside you. This is where faith comes into play. Jesus, release springs of living water inside of us and satisfy our thirst today. We leave our water pails behind and we go and, and, and we go and we walk with you in the cool of the garden of the day, just like Adam did. Maybe this week, every time you feel stressed out, anxious, thirsty, or you're striving, just stop. Renew your mind and say, Jesus completed it. He fulfilled it. I can rest and receive. We love you, Jesus, in this place.